coming up on the Jonathan Lovegrove podcast. I had one of the representatives come up to my desk and he said, um, you know, if you want to have a future in this house, you may want to vote different than your brother does. The budget is used to wield power more than anything else. Yeah, so I'll probably serve the next few months and then announce my run for U.S. president. No, as a friend on the Jonathan <laughs> no, no, Lovegrove no, no. podcast. <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Jonathan Lovegrove, and for the third episode of the podcast, I am delighted to be joined by Alan Morgan. He's my representative here in Greer in the South Carolina State House. Thank you for taking the time to chat today. Yeah, good to be here. So lots of topics to discuss, but I think I'd like to start with CPAC because you were just up there at that conference. What was it like and what would you say was your personal highlight of that event? Yes, it was my first time at CPAC actually. Um, Kind of always wanted to go, Um, but uh, we finally got up there this year. Um, I would say probably a highlight was hearing uh, some of the different presidential candidates, uh, Nikki Haley, um, Vivek Ramaswamy, who has the coolest name probably of anyone to ever <laughs> yes. run for politics or for president, but uh, and then and then hearing President Trump as well. Um, but uh, it was a little bit different um, than what I was expecting. I, I think I was expecting more of um, like a, a general uh, kind of conference, and then maybe to have like some of the the famous people walking around the halls and stuff like that. Um, but there wasn't as much of that as I hoped. Didn't get to meet as many people. Um, and there was definitely a, uh, it was definitely more centered around the Trump campaign, especially the, the days that we were there as well. So, uh, but still, still a good experience. Yeah. So I was looking at the guest list and it tends to be more a Trump sided yeah. event, but to get political here at the start, <laughs> since that's a podcast, what are your thoughts on the 2024 campaign? Just getting started. Any endorsements yet, or are you just watching from afar? Oh no, no, I, I'm not. I'm I'm staying out of it. You know, one one thing I always learned as a politician, you got to be careful who else you endorse, right? You got to be about your own ideas, not necessarily about other people. <laughs> but it, it'll be interesting to see. I think um, at this point with the current field, it kind of looks like it's uh, former President Trump's to lose. Um, but it'll be very interesting if Governor DeSantis gets in. I think that'll that'll maybe even things up a little bit as far as where the nomination's going. Okay, love the political answer (laughs) right there. Very tactful. So you were sworn in in June after a series of elections. I remember we kept on having these elections and time to vote for Alan Morgan again, but what's it like being sworn in these first few months? How has it gone? Yeah. Well, I appreciate the votes, by the way. It was, it was fantastic. So <laughs> I appreciate awesome. the support. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it's been interesting. Um, I came in, my uh, my first vote, actually, I, I came in uh, under a special election. So, uh, or one, one of the first votes that I had my first day was on the budget, um, which is like the big vote every year that you have to take. And uh, so I, I had one of the representatives come up to my desk and he said, um, you know, if you want to have a future in this house, you may want to vote different than your brother does on this particular bill, which was the budget. And I looked up at the board and my brother's name was highlighted red. He had voted no on the budget. So I looked at the representative and I said, well, here's my answer. And I hit the no button. So (laughs) that's a satisfying, (laughs) great way to start. He he didn't like that too much, but. (laughs) So just out of curiosity, what was your main problem with the budget? Was it just spending, bureaucracy? What was the primary problem? I think my biggest issue with the budget is the process. you know, I, I tend to skew more conservative in spending, so I don't love there being a lot of spending on unnecessary projects in the budget. 
Um, but regardless, I can see people making an argument for whatever, why they might be necessary. My biggest issue is the process itself. The budget is used to wield power more than anything else in the South Carolina State House. So the message is uh, you get on board with the agenda, you vote the right way on all of these other bills over the entire course of the year. Uh, and then if you do that, we'll, we'll slide you some special projects in your district to help keep you get, getting reelected. So you talk about that behind the scenes, yep. that, that strategy. We hear it all the time in Washington, but it's interesting to see you comment how strong it is on the state oh, level yeah. as well. So how do you break through it? Because I know you're probably not the most popular person <laughs> in Columbia, but what's, what's kind of the strategy that you and the whole House Freedom Caucus are taking? Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's been interesting um, kind of seeing how it works and everything. Uh, I came in and, and joined the Freedom Caucus. Uh, the South Carolina House Freedom Caucus almost immediately. Um, and my brother is, is the chairman of that as well. And uh, one of the first things that we did, uh, there was this, this loyalty pledge um, that the caucus put together that essentially said, you have to support incumbent Republicans no matter what. You can't do anything that would be considered a campaign activity at all. You can't uh, you know, post pictures of the voting board. You can't uh, endorse candidates, even if they're family members that might be running against an incumbent, anything like that. And, and that's so, across the state? Yeah, across wow. the state. Anyone anyone that's a, an incumbent. And so uh, we were like, well, we're, we're not going to sign that. So we refused to sign it. And because of that, we were ejected from the South Carolina House Republican Caucus. Um, so that's been really, really interesting. Um, I, tell, I, I joke with uh, some of my Democrat colleagues um, they'll come up and say something about the minority caucus. And I say, well, actually, I'm in the true minority caucus because there's only 20 of us. There's 30 some odd of you and there's, you know, 70 on the Republican side. And they're like, well, that's true. Yeah, you, you guys are the smallest caucus now. So. <laughs> so you're facing fire from multiple angles here. So what is kind of day to day when you're serving in Columbia? What does a day look like? Oh, wow. Um, so most of it is very procedural. Um, one of the things I was most surprised about coming into the state house, the first 45 minutes to an hour of every day is, is nothing. It's announcements. We sit there and we, you know, it's, it's fine. We congratulate teams that won a ball game or whatever, which is great. Um, but 45 minutes to an hour of every day is just wow. that. Uh, and the worst offenders are usually Thursdays because everybody wants to go home. So yeah. we do announcements and then we might do like one or two bills um, that are quick votes and we're gone. We're out of the house in less than an hour sometimes. Um, and so I, I think to me, it can be a little bit frustrating because it's it's kind of like, why did we go there? We, we went there to serve and I feel like sometimes we waste a lot of time in the house and then we have these major, major issues that we kind of rush through with very little debate and just try to get them voted on and out the door as quickly as possible. And I wish there was more time spent on the process and debating these bills and kind of getting into the meat of how it's actually going to affect South Carolina. And that, that's been an interesting uh, difference from how I thought it would be coming in. Mm -hmm. So before the interview, you mentioned how your relationship is with fellow Republicans and Democrats. That experience has surprised you. Can you talk a bit about that? <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the one of the funny things I think, by virtue of being in the Freedom Caucus, um, even walking around the halls of the State House, uh, the Democrats, my Democrat colleagues, are very friendly. They'll come up and ask me how my weekend went. Ask me how my wife's doing. 
um, you know, shake hands, all this kind of stuff. And the majority of my Republican colleagues that are not in the Freedom Caucus won't even look at me. <laughs> I mean, it's you're walking down the hallway and it's... <laughs> it's it's really fascinating i i wasn't expecting that but i you know yeah it's it's i was telling you before the interview um the the governor of florida governor DeSantis. one of the things he talks about is that when he was in congress he felt like it was like high school it was all popularity contests mm-hmm. and all this and yep. it's the exact same way in south carolina it is all popularity contests who are the cool kids and all that so kind of explains what's going on i guess yeah so I'd be curious to know, because I recognize that lapel pin that you have for the Freedom Caucus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's also the U.S. House Freedom Caucus. Mm-hmm. They made quite the stir at the start of the year yes, with, with the speaker vote. What are your thoughts on that? How does it reflect? Do you think it reflects positively on the South Carolina version, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the, the Freedom Caucus started because a group of people in Congress realized that, that this sort of uh, peer pressure system, using the budget to control votes and all this kind of stuff, is fundamentally flawed. Um, the, the number one issue, even I was talking about when I went out door knocking uh, back in for the June primary, when I get to people's doors, the number one thing people say is their frustration is that they elect someone who says they're gonna be a certain way, typically conservative. Uh, they say they're gonna be strong on gun rights and pro-life issues and all this, and then they get an office and they run to the middle. And the reason that happens is because of that peer pressure. The system is so strong uh, and, and there's so much coercion involved for, oh, you need to vote this way, that, that people, it's really, really difficult for someone to stand strong. And what the Freedom Caucus does is it gives you a group of people that you are in the fire with. And so the ability to look at other people that you know are conservatives, that you know they're in a fight with you to stand strong. And yeah, the speaker vote, I mean, it took unbelievable courage for those 20 to stand strong. Every media outlet, including Fox News, was ganging up on them, telling them, you, you need to do this, you need to do this, you're hurting the Republican cause. And then after they got the concessions that they got, now everybody's talking about how incredible this is. We have the most, the most open house process ever with these incredible reforms that never would have been uh, capable except for McCarthy. And I'm like... It's not McCarthy. It was those 20 that stood strong. That's why the process is so good. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of what they're doing in D.C. Yeah. So I definitely, I see the perspective, and it's, it's cool to see, see fighters like that. At the same time, I have to wonder, so often we see Democrats behind closed doors. They come up, and then they get onto the floor, and they are totally unified, rank and file. So where is the line drawn between we have to have some unity as a Republican Party, but we still have to stand when it comes to moral issues and stand when it comes to those hard decisions. Where do you draw the line there? When do you kind of break away from the party? Yeah, I think the, the issue is that the Democrats, uh, when they make decisions behind closed doors and then come out, everybody has a voice. Um, if you look at the, the Democrat party as a whole over time, it's gone more and more to the left, significantly more to the left. It's been pulled that way by uh, the AOCs of the world (laughs) that are pulling the party that direction. Um, in the Republican caucus, if you don't follow leadership, you have no voice. There is no, there is no, uh, trying to get the agenda to move to the right. It is, this is the way things are top down very much. So very authoritarian in the control system. Um, and I think that's the difference and that's what we're trying to, 
to kind of break up what the Freedom Caucus is saying. Mm -hmm. Look, absolutely, we need to be unified in fighting against leftism, against woke ideology and all this kind of stuff. Um, but the problem is our leaders are not doing that. They're not standing up. They're doing the bare minimum to get reelected, and that's what they care about. And so we're just trying to say, look, your voters want you to do what you said you were going to do when you ran. That's all we are trying to do is follow what we said we were going to do when we got elected. Uh, and we just want our leaders to do the same thing. Awesome. Well, one final question to close us off today, at, though I'm sure we could talk for hours more, but <laughs> let's end with this. Political future. Uh, the next few months, your time serving in the House, what does that look like? And then do you have any plans for after the House? Do you have any bigger aspirations? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so probably serve the next few months and then announce my run for U.S. president. Yes, just awesome. Mm -hmm. No, as a runner. on the Jonathan Lovegrove podcast. No, as of right now, I don't have any future political sure. aspirations. Um, I got into politics because I identified a problem in our state uh, where we are consistently ranked as one of the reddest states as far as voting population goes. Um, but we are one of the most purple states as far as legislation. In fact, I think last year, uh, CPAC ranked us 36th out of 50 uh, United States for um, conservative policies that got passed, which is crazy when you look at the, at the percentage of voting, how many people vote Republican. Um, so that's why I got involved is I want to fix our state. Um, so that's what my focus is. And as of right now, I don't have any plans to do anything else. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for your time. And we look forward to seeing what both you and Adam and the Whole Freedom Caucus do in the coming months. Absolutely. Appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Jonathan Lovegrove podcast. Make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you're listening. And make sure to subscribe to the Jonathan Lovegrove channel on YouTube. We'll see you in the next episode.